0: Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and, r- and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this, then, is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father, He knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom, and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, it'll worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray together. Bless us, O Lord, we are grateful today to to come here to this place, gathering together as your saints, as your people, seeking to align ourselves with your will, seeking to praise you with our our thoughts, our words, with our actions. Father, prayerfully seeking to to be transformed and shaped and remade more and more into the image of Jesus. So I pray God today that you would would speak to us through your spirit and through your word and through your church and Father, that these words that we that we see in your holy word, that they would not remain on the page, but be transformative in the lives that you have blessed us to live. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You ever noticed that every fairy tale ever told begins and ends the exact same way? You ever noticed that? Go to the next slide here. Every fairy tale ever told begins once upon a time and ends, and they lived happily ever after the end. Every single one. Once upon a time, there was a little girl who lived in a great, big, beautiful house with her father and her mother, but her mother died. And her father remarried another woman who, after the father died, became an evil stepmother who doted on her own children and made the little girls their their servant. And because she slept near the fireplace to keep warm, and because of the soot, her evil stepsisters began calling her Cinderella. Once upon a time, and then all the stuff in the middle, and they lived happily ever after. The end uh, this from from snow white once upon a time there was a little girl who lived in a big house with her father but her mother died hold on a second is this the same story and after her mother died her father remarried another woman and after her father died the woman became an evil stepmother this is the same story uh, but the evil stepmother, no, here's where it's different. But the evil stepmother, the evil queen, was vain and had an enchanted mirror, which she asked the question every morning, mirror, mirror, on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And then there's a forest, and there's seven dwarves, and there's a poisoned apple, and there's a huntsman and all of that, once upon a time. And they lived happily ever after. Which may very well be the story of a fairy tale. But it's not always the story of real life. Because in real life, sometimes the stories don't go exactly the way that we had planned. Sometimes there are are chapters that read more like nightmares than Disney or the Brothers Grimm. Maybe it's the the dream of, of fame or success or... Or wealth, and maybe not even in a self-serving way. Financial security—that would be nice. Dreams that just, no matter how hard you try, never seem to come together. Sometimes we have these great ideas and these great plans and these great dreams and these great aspirations, and we then later on somehow we find ourselves dreaming a little bit smaller. But truth be told, the message of the kingdom, the real kingdom, not a fairy tale kingdom, but a, a, the real kingdom of, of God, the true kingdom of God, it's the story of once upon a time when we were powerless to live meaningful and redeemed lives. The one true living God, the King of the kingdom. He sent his son to save the day, and because of that, regardless of this temporary world that we currently live in, we know that we are promised a and they happily li- they lived happily ever after, and we know that he gives us meaning and purpose today and he makes us a part of something that is is so much bigger than we are. And so what I want to do is is for us to, we're looking at a, maybe a larger portion of the Sermon on the Mount than we've traditionally done over the, the last number of weeks now. But I want to pick out and pull three key verses out of this portion of the Sermon on the Mount for us to seek to, to zero in on during our, our sermon time this morning, and, and, and then I'm going to be asking you to expand further upon those verses later on in your small groups, but three key verses that I want for us to consider in context of what Jesus is saying in regard to these, sermon, these verses, and so if, if normally you rely upon just the big screen, I want, to, I want you to take out your Bible or your little screen just to be able to look at the, the context and the verses that surround these verses we're going to be looking at this morning. The first is Matthew 6, verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but the way that we read this is not generally this way. The way that we usually read where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, is in general where your heart is, there your treasure is. But I don't think that Jesus is exactly saying that. Where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Jesus is moving from what we looked at last week in regard to being faithful to what God has entrusted to us and not seeking identity, affirmation outside of the kingdom. That if we're seeking identity in anything else, it all pales in comparison with the kingdom. That our value, our worth, our purpose, our affirmation, our validation, all is found... All are found in kingdom living. And so then, he naturally progresses from that toward treasure in heaven. And he says to us, don't get caught up in the temporary. Look at the context. Don't store up treasures that decay. Don't invest in the temporary. Why get caught up in keeping up with the Joneses? No offense to any Joneses out there. Why spend all this time and all of this energy and all of this effort like a hamster in an ever-spinning hamster wheel while being war smack dab out and at times feeling like you're getting absolutely nowhere. Don't spend all of your time trying to create a way of life for yourself or even for your family, trying to create a way of of life and investing all of your time in how you're providing that particular way of life and not spending any time with those that you're creating the way of life for. Maybe it's even something else. Maybe you're convinced that somehow in investing in, in things that maybe even by themselves are not bad. Investing into, a, in, investing into your child who you are just convinced is going to, to be a professional baseball player one day. And so if you can just get them to, to be on the right team and have the right coach and make the right plays, then it will all come together. I read a statistic recently that the odds of a person playing at a professional level in sports is point zero three three one hundredths of a percent so the odds of your child and there's nothing wrong with sports but the odds of a person playing sports at a professional level is Three one-hundredths of 1%. One the odds of our children one day standing before God, the odds are a lot better than that. They're right at 100%, believe it or not. Don't invest in the temporary. Invest in the kingdom. Don't miss, don't miss the eternal when here in this temporary state. Invest in the kingdom. It's got the greatest and the surest return for the investment. And then he says that the eyes are the lamp of the body, and the eyes are either good or bad. They're either full of light or they're full of darkness. If the light then within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What's he talking about? He's talking about perspective. Spiritual perspective. Perspective. Spiritual insight. How do you view the world? How do you view situations? How do you view yourself? How do you view others? How do you view God? All within this context of how do you view your wealth? He's not saying don't plan for retirement, right? I mean, there are plenty of of, of verses that speak to being good stewards, And I think that's why why there's this break with verse 24 where he says you can't serve two masters. It just can't be done. If we're to be subjects of the kingdom, then every corner of life must be submitted to the king of the kingdom. Henry Nowen in his book, Show Me the Way, he writes this. Really it's a prayer. It says, Lord, I am so divided. I truly want to follow You, but I also want to follow my own desires. I want to lend an ear to the voices that speak about prestige, success, human respect, pleasure, power, and influence. And then he writes this, Lord, help me to become deaf to these voices and become more attentive to Your voice which calls me to choose the narrow road to life second verse look at the context Matthew 6 verse 27 who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life worrying about what you will eat or drink or, or or wear it's it's the godless that do that not the godly Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the the field. I personally think that Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount during the springtime. And as He does, creation provides the best analogies, the best illustrations for Him. Look at the birds, He says. Look at the flowers. Not even Solomon, with all of his, his wealth still building upon that idea, not even Solomon, with all of his wealth, could pull this off. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and then tomorrow is thrown into the fire, it's so very temporary. Do you not think that God is going to take care of you? And then this indictment, oh, you of little faith, come on, trust God. You believe that God is God, right? You believe that God has created and sustained everything. You believe that God is the one that that speaks life into existence. You believe that God is the the true God, the one true living God of of heaven and earth, don't you? You believe that God has saved and redeemed you. uh, This side of the cross and resurrection... Come on. Do you trust God to be God? And within this, within all of that, that framework, he addresses the cruel taskmaster of worry. Don't worry. He talks about some things that we might think are are superficial. But ultimately, it's the question of can you trust God? Can you trust God? Good. If you can, then don't worry. God's got you. God's got this. Maybe that's something that that you need to hear this morning. Whatever this is for you, God's got this. You can trust God. So often, God, He swoops in and He saves the day. At the last moment, He acts in ways that we we would never expect or He teaches us things that we would never otherwise learn. Hardest those lessons may be. And so trust Him. Trust Him. The Apostle Peter writes this, 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Now the, 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 the greater context around, go to the next slide there. The greater context of that verse is humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. And be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking anyone, someone to devour. Cast all your anxiety upon him. Because he cares for you. The Apostle Paul writes this, Don't be anxious about anything but in prayer and petition and with thanksgiving present your request to God. That, of course, within the context of in the Lord always, and in case you missed it, I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. But it seems... The Apostle, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, don't be anxious, trust God, right? Is that what you read in that? Paul is saying, don't be anxious, trust God, present your concerns, because, I don't know, I think we're more comfortable with the word concern. It's, it's, okay, it's okay, maybe we feel okay to have concerns, but the idea of, of worry or, or anxiety, we struggle with those things. But it seems that Paul says, don't be anxious, stick with me. And Peter Peter assumes that we already shoulder to one degree or another a certain level of anxiety. And that we should give those anxieties over to God. Paul says, don't worry, be happy. Paul said it before Bob Marley. And Peter says, when it occurs, not if, when. Give it to God. Some would perhaps argue that's because Peter was married, Paul was not, and so since Peter was married, Peter had a mother-in-law, and so he knew a couple of things about anxiety or stress. I want to propose to you this morning that there is, there is such a thing as healthy anxiety. And there's such a thing as unhealthy anxiety. Healthy anxiety is what makes you study for a test. Healthy anxiety is what makes you work hard at your job. Healthy anxiety is what makes a a soldier run toward the enemy in battle. Healthy anxiety is what makes you think for a moment before you pick a fight with a bigger guy. Not that you would do that. Healthy anxiety. So there's healthy and there's unhealthy anxiety. The quickest way to get beyond anxiety is to acknowledge its presence rather than to ignore it. Really, it's the same way in dealing with pain. To acknowledge it rather than denying it. Pretending it's not there is unnatural and the surest way to feed the monster. These are all part of the palette of emotions that God has given us. But like he always does, Satan will take what God has given and contort it and and distort it for his own purposes. And so what to do with worry, stress, anxiety? You see, worry doesn't rob you of your sorrow. What worry does is it robs you of your joy. It may be a very small thing, but it casts a long shadow And Jesus says, give God those things that you were not designed to shoulder and trust Him to be God. At the same time, think about this. If you're experiencing something big, if you're diagnosed with a disease, if you have a a child in prison, if your spouse is making detrimental choices to your or for your family, and we could keep adding to the list of examples. If any of those things are going on in your life, you'd have to be emotionally retarded to not experience a certain level of stress or concern or, dare I say, worry. Emotionally stunted to say to someone who's going through something of that magnitude in their life through experiencing uh, loss or some sort of uncertainty or experiencing some sort of pain in their life, you'd have to be emotionally stunted to say to them, well, just don't worry about those things. Or to say to someone who, who deals with clinical anxiety, just stop it. Just stop it. Jesus is not saying that we don't deal with some difficult things, some awful things, emotional things, in between once upon a time and they lived happily ever after. What he is saying is trust God to see you through. God's got you. And I think he's, he's also acknowledging that worry, when he distorts it, or facilitates it, anxiety when Satan twists it or contorts it, that worry and anxiety, they can be effective tools of the enemy to distance us from God. So don't give the enemy the least bit of real estate in your life. He doesn't own it. We, we, we talk about how, how God works in ways that we least expect. But the enemy, Satan, he, he, he works in ways that we are warned of. He, he works in ways, Satan, the enemy, the thief, the thief that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, he works precisely in ways that we expect. And one of the ways that he does that is through worry. The fear that I'm not enough, the fear that God's not enough, or worse yet, the fear that I'm not enough to God. Or even even the fear that if I obey God, that I won't be I won't be happy, which was the exact tactic that Satan used on Adam and Eve in the garden. All right, third and final statement that I want for us to consider this morning from this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew six, thirty three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness in all these things. All of these things will be added to you, given to you as well. Tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about itself. But seek first. Make that a priority. Make that the priority to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All what things? Eternal things, spiritual things, meaningful things. The things we're searching for, whether we realize it or not. The things of the kingdom. Seek His kingdom and His righteousness. Not your kingdom and your righteousness. Not the kingdoms of this world or a worldly sort of righteousness. But seek His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. When your feet hit the floor in the morning, His kingdom and His righteousness. When your head hits the pillow at night, His kingdom and His righteousness. When you're doing what you do during the day, His kingdom and His righteousness. When you're prioritizing who you want to be, His kingdom and His righteousness when you're simplifying your life, determining what matters and what doesn't, and when refocusing upon the things that are eternal rather than the things that are temporary, His kingdom and His righteousness. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And it seems that the question... That Jesus asks in that statement of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness is when are we going to get serious about our faith? What are you waiting for in drawing a line in the sand? and saying, I'm not going to give the world, I'm not going to give the enemy another inch of my life. I went and and visited my my youngest brother yesterday. I've shared with you before, my my youngest brother's in prison. And he's up in in Bonham, in a prison unit in in Bonham, Texas, uh, right now. So just about an hour away. And there in the unit that he is in, you, uh, you walk in, you know, through, there's two, you know, two sets of gates and there's chain link and there's Concertina and, and the inner gate's electrified and you walk through these two gates and, and you don't really pay attention, but there's actually, there's signs going in. Don't, you know, don't bring in cash. And I'm like, well, I haven't had cash in my wallet since 1995. But this sort of, this sort of thing. And then there's signs going out, but you really don't see them until you come out. And as you're coming out... On the, on the back of the electrified fence, there is this great big six-foot square red sign. It's a red sign with white letters. And the sign reads, it's the only sign on that gate. And the sign reads, no hostages will be taken past this point. And so if you've made it that far, good on you. But no hostages are going to be taken past past this point. There's a line that's drawn. When are we, each and every one of us, going to draw a line in the sand and say no more to this temporary world and take the kingdom seriously? I cannot help but think I know it to be true that in an audience in an audience of this size there's got to be somebody on the fence no pun intended but on the fence in regard to your faith when the message of Jesus is embrace the kingdom be a part of the kingdom be a part of what i'm doing seek first his kingdom And His righteousness. Seek first His kingdom. And His righteousness. Seek first His kingdom. And His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. We started with the idea of fairy tales. And so I suppose it would be okay to to end with one. Think of the story of the beauty and the beast. I guess it fits into that category of... A fairy tale. I'm sure that Tiersa and I aren't the, aren't the only ones who, who currently own that movie on VHS, DVD, and in a digital format. We might be the only ones who don't have grandkids that kind of fit into that category. But we have 20 years between our youngest and our, and our oldest. But do you remember the scene at the end of Beauty and the Beast when the prince, the prince who is cursed, dies? and then true love revives him and then everything is transformed back to the way or to the way that it's supposed to be do you remember the scene and all of those who are a part of that kingdom they're made new and the true kingdom it's it's revealed it, it had been hidden it had been obscured for a little while well it seems that that story it was stolen from a much larger story a true story a true story of a true kingdom with a true king where your treasure is there your heart will be also seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well To make a decision for the kingdom. To make a decision for the king of the kingdom who has chosen us to choose him. And for that to be who we are. Defining of who we are. This morning perhaps there's somebody here who has not committed your life to Christ by being baptized into Christ. That's the way we become a part of the kingdom. I pray that you wouldn't delay any longer. I pray that each of us would walk out of here more committed than we were when we walked in in regard to our fidelity to the kingdom. If we can bless you in some way as a church family, come forward as we stand and as Adam leads us in song.